0: Now, I have been looking in my paper Bible and it was a blessing because I got notes in there from 20 years ago. I surprised myself. But when you keep going from one translation to the other, sometimes you got to use other means of uh, study. But turn with me to Mark chapter 3, verse 22. I'll be reading in the Amplified Classic Bible. Version. And then I might switch off as we go through the message this morning. But it says in Mark 3:22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the help of the prince of demons, he is casting out demons. They're talking about Jesus. And he summoned them and said to him, and And he summoned them to him and said to them in parables. A parable is an illustration or comparisons put besides truths to explain them. Jesus said, how can Satan drive out Satan? I'm getting some kind of feedback or something up here, Joe. A hum or something every time I say something. And if a kingdom is divided... And rebelling against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. That goes for a household as well. And if a house is divided, split into factions and rebelling against itself, that house will not be able to last. And if Satan has raised an insurrection against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is surely coming to an end. But no one can go into a strong man's house and ransack his household goods right and left and seize them as plunder unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may thoroughly plunder his house. I like the way the King James puts this. It says, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. Truly and solemnly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever abusive and blasphemous things they utter, but whoever blasphemes, speaks abusively, against, or maliciously misrepresents, the Holy Spirit can never get forgiveness, but is guilty of and is in the grasp of an everlasting trespass. For they persisted, the scribes, they persisted in saying he has an unclean spirit. How many know the spirit that Jesus had was the Holy Spirit? It was not an unclean spirit. It was not Beelzebub or the prince of devils. It was the mighty Holy Ghost, the third God in the Godhead or the third God in the Trinity. And in Matthew's account, Jesus had just cast the devil a blind and dumb devil out of a man and that man could see and he could speak. So Jesus begins to teach then right after casting that devil out. He teaches what we just read uh, about spiritual warfare, because this is what he's talking about. This is spiritual warfare. He starts talking about binding the strong man and plundering his goods or spoiling his goods, because that's exactly what he just did with that man. See, our bodies are considered a temple, a tent. You can't enter a man's house and spoil his goods except you first bind the strong man. And what Jesus did was enter into this man's house because this body is a house. The real you is a spirit you live inside. Jesus entered into that man's house, bound the strong man, cast him out and spoiled his goods. The strong man was the demon that had possessed this man and his goods was the dumb and blind spirit that he put on this onto this man. So there's a great misconception here about whose house must be entered into uh, either to bind or unbind. And let's take, for instance, the spirit of abuse, because that is a spirit that is really big in the world itself. But it's also big in this country. And it's especially big in Kentucky. And abuse takes on many forms. And one would think that you would have to enter into the person's house who is doing the abusing and cast him out, cast the devil out of him. But that's not what Jesus did here. Uh, although that is true, some, some people that abuse, whether it's physically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, s- some of them people need to have a devil cast out of them. Amen? Yeah. But that's not the case here, because Jesus entered the house of the person that was being abused. How many knows the devil coming into you causing blindness and dumbness or any kind of sickness or disease? He is abusing you. And so Jesus enters the house of the person that's being abused and cast the devil out of him and spoiled or plundered his goods, which was the blindness and the dumbness. So the devil took possession of this man's house. But before he was able to do that, and this is what I want to talk about for a minute. He had to first bind the strong man before he could first of all even have access to his house. And then second of all, he had to bind the strong man in order to spoil his goods or plunder his house and put this abuse onto him. Now, I'm not sticking up for the abuser, but if there's something going on with you that you've allowed because you've allowed the devil to bind the strong man in you, then you have to fix it. You're the one that has to correct it. Amen? Just because somebody is abusing you, or the devil's abusing you, taking advantage of you, doesn't mean that you have to receive it. Doesn't mean that you have to accept that mess from the devil. Amen? I don't care if it's sickness and disease. I don't care if it's emotional, spiritual, physical. I don't care what it is. You're the strong man that has to be bound before that could happen. And if you're a believer in Christ... You're full of the Holy Ghost and you're walking in the word. Ain't no devil in hell could ever bind you and spoil anything of yours. Amen. 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 So I know personally as a fact. That before you can abuse me in, in, in any way pass any way you can think of spiritual, physical, emotional. I would first have to allow you access yeah. to my house, yeah. which you're not going to get. And then even if you got by the doorkeeper, got into my house somehow, I still would have to allow you to bind me. And if I'm stronger than you, which I am, ain't no devil in hell going to bind me and spoil my goods. Amen. 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 I'm a believer. I'm in Christ. He's in me. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I know what the word says concerning these things and you can't bind me because of it. Amen. Not you, but the devil I'm talking about. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm the strong man of this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But I can't get the big head because, you know, I've been empowered by God. And that's something that we have to keep track of here. And it'll make sense to you in a minute. But uh it can't happen to me because of who Is in me and I know who I am in Christ. Amen. Amen. But I want to talk to you more about buying in the strong man. But before I do, I think we need to spend some time talking about blasphemy because Jesus would have never mentioned it in this uh, dissertation or included it if it wasn't important. Amen. I know sometimes it sounds like he changes subjects in the middle of the stream, but he really isn't. It all flows together. So we need to look at the whole passage in context. So there's actually a lot of people that really don't understand what it is to blaspheme. It's not something that happens unintentionally. It's not something it's not a slip of the tongue. It's not something you do unconsciously. You have to make a concentrated effort to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. And the reason I'm telling you that is because there's people actually believe that they have blasphemed the Holy Ghost and committed the unforgivable sin. And some even believe that they have committed the unpardonable sin that John talks about in his gospel or his letters. And that's exactly what the scribes did, because our our opening scripture described blasphemy as being speaking abusively, against or maliciously misrepresenting the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what they did. They spoke against him maliciously and they misrepresented him and uh, said that he was a devil rather than the spirit from God. And so uh, let me just say this. They called him Beelzebub. And we all know that that means the Lord of the flies. Right. But did you also mean it meant... God of the dunghill. So that was a real misrepresentation of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Insult, a disrespecting of the Holy Ghost at the highest levels. And they knew what they were doing. It wasn't a slip of the tongue. So Jesus was saying, as a result of that, you've committed a sin that's unforgivable. You could have said it about me. You could have said it about God. You could have said it about anything that came from heaven but the Holy Ghost. So these people that just fluff off the Holy Ghost like, yeah, Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, and and don't know anything about the Holy Ghost and uh, don't realize that he is also a God, a part of the triune Godhead, then they usually wind up getting themselves in trouble because they'll usually wind up misrepresenting the Holy Ghost or saying something uh, maliciously or abusive about him. And it gets them in a lot of trouble. Amen. Amen. But they called him the Lord of the flies, the God of the dunghill. I don't have to tell you what dung is in the Bible, but uh, and they called him the prince of demons. And how many knows that wasn't too smart? Amen. And uh, we should never speak evil against the Holy Spirit or associate anything that he does with evil. And, uh, you know, you might be wondering, why am I saying this? Because I got to tell you, it goes on all the time. And it's not always people on the outside talking about the Christians or the church. It's people within the church itself. Unlearned people, ignorant people. And I don't mean that in a bad context. I'm talking about just not knowing something, just being ignorant of something or unlearned about something. And it would be a good rule to follow that if I don't know what I'm talking about, I should keep my mouth shut before I get myself in trouble. Right. But it's done by. The lost out there and Christians alike, and people come against Pentecostals all the time, and, and uh, because we speak in tongues, and they've been taught by certain denominations that that tongue stuff is of the devil. Stay away from it; it's the devil. And not only that, they say the same thing about the gifts of the Spirit. They say they were real, but they were for the early church. They're not for this church. Anybody operating in what they call the gifts of the spirit is is operating in a demon spirit, is operating in a devilish spirit. It's not holy. And that in itself is blasphemy. Whether they know it or not, it's speaking abusively and maliciously misrepresenting the spirit of God. And the things of God, things that come from heaven. And uh, it's like the baptism in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. You know, it was on the day of Pentecost and he come in like a rushing mighty wind. And he uh, like tongues of fire. He rested upon each and every one that was in the upper room, 120 in all. And it says they were all filled with what? The Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as what? The Spirit gave them utterance. That is a holy thing. Speaking in tongues is a holy thing. It's come from heaven. Operating in the gifts of the spirits. Uh, faith and uh, miracles and tongues and interpretation and prophecy and healing and discerning of spirits. It is all by one spirit, the heavenly Holy Spirit, as he wills. So it's all holy it's all come from heaven and it's all spiritual. And so we should never say anything about that. And, and, and if somebody is talking to you and they bring up the name of the Holy Spirit and they abuse that name or maliciously misrepresent it, you should say, I don't want to hear that and walk away. I would never encourage them to continue talking by thinking that you think it's okay. Okay. It shouldn't be. You don't want a part of that at all. Amen. If you don't understand something about the word of God or the spirit of God, it's better just not to say anything at all. Amen. I don't agree with everything that everybody says about certain subjects in the Bible. But I won't unless it's blatantly disregards the truth or something. And I have an opportunity to correct that. I will. But I will never say anything against it, especially if I don't know anything about it. Amen. Amen. It's just safer that way. Uh, well, let me ask you a question. How many years did you serve the devil before you got saved? Right. Yeah. I've served him for probably 35, 36 years before I got born again. Let me ask you another question. How many times did you speak in tongues or operate in the gifts of the Spirit? Right. None? None. Well, that would be unusual if those are of the devil, because he would have you operating in them. The devil would have you speaking in tongues if it came from him. So you must not have come from him. Where'd it come from? Heaven. Hallelujah. But let me show you why this is so serious. If you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, if you don't believe he's a God, if you think the Holy Spirit or his work is evil... Then you've just rejected Christ and along with Christ, you've rejected salvation. And that is the only sin that is unforgivable and unpardonable because that sin will keep you out of heaven and send you to hell. That's why John said it's unforgivable. Where do you go from there? Where else do you find salvation? And the Holy Spirit is the agent of salvation. Jesus suffered and died, but it's the Holy Spirit that comes into you and renews you and rebirths you and makes you born again. It's the Holy Spirit that brings us that salvation. And that's what John called the unpardonable sin. Uh, And the main reason is because you rejected salvation. Uh, In Luke 12, 4 through 10, it says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. Now, when Jesus calls you a friend, you're a believer. Because friend in the Bible really means covenant partner. If you're called a friend, it's because you're in covenant with somebody. And then he says, but I will show you whom you should fear. Jesus is teaching on the fear of the Lord here. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Now the devil has the power to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his job. But he don't have the power to cast you into hell. Only God can do that. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore... You are of more value than many sparrows. I'm telling you, God must really love us and really be interested in us to number our hairs. And what a lot of people don't realize is he's not talking about how many hairs you have. He's saying that every one that you do have is a numbered hair. And if one got snagged in a brush as you were combing your hair this morning, he could tell you that is hair number one. Seventy five. That's how much God knows about you. Amen. And you still got one eighty six, one eighty seven and one eighty nine in that little clump. So you're not bald yet. Now, I realize he can count hair a lot faster on some of us than others. Mine is getting faster and faster to count as the years go on. But he says, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, also will confess before the angels of God. In other words, in heaven. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit... It will not be forgiven. Now, it almost sounds like that passage right there, verse 10, come out of left field. Because he was talking about sparrows and the hairs on your head and uh, confessions and all of this stuff. And then he pops up with that. But listen to it in the Amplified, verse 10. And everyone who makes a statement or speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit... That is, whoever intentionally comes short of the reverence due the Holy Spirit. In other words, disrespected the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. For him, there is no forgiveness. So it relates to those who deny him. That's what the passage of scripture was about. And uh, he relates them to blasphemy. And that's the part that's unforgivable because you just blew your chance for salvation. Now I want to talk to you about binding the strong man. Does everybody realize if we we don't have anything good to say about the Holy Ghost, we don't say anything at all? That he needs to be reverenced. A lot of people say, oh, you don't reverence the Holy Spirit. You don't worship the Holy Spirit. You worship him when you worship God. Because it's one God in three. Three gods in one. So he does need to be reverenced. He deserves to be reverenced and respected. And not spoke about maliciously uh, or misrepresented in any way, shape, or form. He's the agent of God in the earth today. And he's performing the work that God called him to perform. Amen. Amen. Jesus is not down here performing work. He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I. But he sends the Holy Spirit to get the work done in the earth. Amen. He's a powerful, powerful being. And we underestimate him, just like we underestimate the devil sometimes. But now I want to talk to you about binding the strong man. Bible scholars and believers alike have mis... I don't want to say misinterpreted, but at least misrepresented this passage of Scripture. And they have a lot of different opinions about it. And uh, some of them think that Satan is the stronger, strong man, and he's even stronger than the Holy Ghost. And he's the one going around doing the binding. And to a certain extent, that's true. The devil does bind people up. Amen. And he's plundering our goods. Now, he is a strong man and he can't bind you. Okay, but you have to give him permission. Remember, he is as a roaring lion. Going about seeking whom he may devour. Mm -hmm. So you have to give him access to your house. And I can tell you all kinds of ways that we give him access. And one of the reasons we give him access is because we don't know the word. Because we have no discernment. Because we're too trusting with evil things. And we try to see the good in everybody which isn't a bad trait in itself. But you cannot look for good in the devil or the things that he's doing. There is no good in it. There's three things, kill, steal, and destroy. That's all you're going to see in the devil. He's got hundreds of names in the Bible. 30 of them or so are very prominent names like Abaddon and, and uh, Belial and Beelzebub. And, uh, but all the names that he has, every one of them uh, describes some type of death, some type of theft, some type of destruction. There's nothing else about him. And God has given him all these names in the Bible to give us a description of what he wants to do to us because he is diametrically opposed to us. He will kill you. He's not playing a game. We think it's a game, but it's not. And he's very subtle. He will sneak into your house and he will begin to plunder your good. We think he breaks down the door and alarms are going off and the police are on the way. No, No. he's subtle. He's to the place where he slips in, gets you bound, and you don't even know you're bound. You don't even recognize truth anymore. And he's rampaging your house. He's stealing your kids. He's stealing your finances. He's stealing your health. He's stealing your peace. He's stealing everything that's near and dear to you. And you don't even know it because it's a little at a time, a little here and a little there. He's very subtle, but his plan hasn't changed. He wants to destroy you. So greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So the devil is binding a born again believer that's full of the Holy Ghost and walking in the word would be like a mouse going into a lion's den, binding him and snatching a porterhouse steak out of his mouth. That's how I feel about the devil binding me. He'd have a better chance with that lion and getting that porterhouse. But yet it happens to believers every day. Why? They're believers. They're born again. They're saved, but they don't know who's in them. They don't know who Christ is in them. They don't know what their power and authority is. And that's why I started out by saying that you may get bound by somebody that's got evil intentions or is allowing the devil to use uh, him for evil intentions. But if you do get bound, it's because you didn't know that you were stronger than him. And that's what this is all about is strong men. It's not important who the strong man is. It's just what's important is knowing that you're stronger than the strongest strong man out there. See, Jesus announced to the world in John 12, 31. He said, I came to drive out Satan, the prince of this world. He said, the time for judging this world has come. When Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And that was an example of it when he cast out that dumb and blind spirit. The devil's real and he's strong, but Jesus is the true strong man in this story. He's not only stronger, but he is the strongest. All the time, every time, every day, every night, he's always the strongest. But sometimes... We make the mistake of giving the devil qualities that only Jesus has, that only God has. He's omnipotent, which means he is all powerful. That means there's not any left for the devil. He's omnipresent, which means that he's everywhere all the time. The devil ain't. He can only be in one place at one time. He's got a bunch of little imps and demons that are all over the place influencing people and following His order. He has a hierarchy just like God has a hierarchy and a pecking order. Right. And so uh, you're getting messed with, but it ain't by the devil. Amen. It's by a little snot-nosed demon right. that you can kick the kingdom come with the power that you have. Jesus said it's with the finger of God that I cast out demons. The finger, just give him a little flick. He's in you. You shouldn't be harassed or tormented or abused by any kind of little imp. The greater one is in you. And, you know, they—they they I've said this before. I'll repeat it again. But they asked Brother Hagen, can a Christian be possessed by a devil? And Brother Hagen looked at him and said, let me ask you something. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, And he's living in your temple. Do you think he's going to share that temple with a devil? No, a Christian can't be possessed by the devil. Amen. Amen. But anyway, the Bible tells us he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's uh, omniscient. And Satan is a fallen angel who was created by God in heaven. As a matter of fact, he's a fallen archangel, which is a Angel of the highest order. He's not only a fallen archangel, he is the archangel. He was the archangel of heaven. He was in charge of all the angels, even the archangels. He was Michael's boss. He was the highest creation in heaven. Creation. And uh, God named him Lucifer. He became Satan or the devil or one whom opposes God and whom God opposes that's what it means to be a devil or Satan but he's like I said his name he's known by other names in the scripture and all of them point to his evil character you know God wasn't giving the devil glory he was telling you this is what you need to look for in the devil this is his character and his chief characteristics are hostility evil intent toward God and his people And he's actually been assigned a lot of other different names in the Bible. But no matter what the name is, it all describes his evil intentions and his character to steal, kill, or destroy. That's the only character he has. But let's look at his created name, his God-given name, which was Lucifer. And Lucifer means light bearer or morning star, not The bright and morning star, but morning star. He was created the worship leader of heaven and a guardian of the holiness of God. I'll show you that in a minute. But he was the most beautiful archangel that God ever created. However, the Bible tells us that iniquity was found in his heart. Pride was found in his heart and it caused them to rebel against God and lead an insurrection or a coup. And this was a real insurrection. It wasn't a pretend, make-believe insurrection. (laughs) This was a real insurrection. This was serious stuff. This was an actual coup. Satan was so full of pride and so... Exalted in his own mind and blown up in his own mind and body that he thought he should take the place of God. He was greater than God. God had a different idea. But as you know, it wasn't successful. And it not only got him kicked out of heaven, but it got a third of the angels of heaven kicked out because they joined his insurrection. That's why I said it was a real insurrection. But don't forget, there's still two thirds on our side. The prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel have the most vivid descriptions of what I'm talking about in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How many got time for a little lesson on Lucifer? This is uh, past and prophetic. But Isaiah says, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground You who weakened the nations. When did this happen? How about before Adam was created? How about when the earth was with form and not void? A beautiful earth created by God in perfection. And Lucifer was put in charge of it. I don't know what other responsibilities he had, maybe an entire universe or galaxy, but he was Here on the earth, ruling from the earth. So there had to be a class here that we call the pre-Adamite creation that he was ruling over. And besides that, in verse 13, uh, Isaiah says, for you have said in your heart, this is where pride begins, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Now, as far as I can tell, the sides of the north was where the angels of heaven, the church of God, would congregate. And then he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. We're not going to get into it, but he had five I wills and God has five. No, you won't. Right after that. But then we move to Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, 11th verse, and it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. In other words, mourn for the king of Tyrus. He's about to get get it. And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, when you say thou sealest up the sum, that means that you are the most powerful being. You are in charge of everything. All of it put together. You're in charge of it. And then he said you're full of wisdom and perfect beauty. So he's not talking about the king of Tyrus. This is what we call a double reference. He was talking to Satan who was possessing Tyrus. That's just like he told Peter. Uh, he called Peter Satan and uh, Peter really wasn't Satan, but he was motivated and speaking by Satan. And Jesus looked right through him and spoke directly to the devil. And that's what he's doing here. He says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, King Tyrus never was in Eden. He was a mortal man, just a normal man like anybody else. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald and the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Now, I don't I don't know exactly what Satan looked like, but he was beautiful. He was clothed in precious jewels. I think they were actually a part of his body. I know the tambres or whatever they are, I guess they're symbols or something, Brother Darrell. You know what that tabre and the pipes are like organ pipes. They were built into this creature. He had to be a beautiful creature full of music. I mean, he was the worship leader of heaven. And then he calls him. He says, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, covereth. In other words, he was in charge of everything. And I have set thee so. I'm the one who made you the covering. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And he's talking about the actual throne room of God. Lucifer had access to the throne room. He walked on the, on the, uh, the fire of God that was created around the throne. He would walk up and down on that while God is running the universe. God is up on his throne making decisions about an entire universe too vast for us to even imagine. And Lucifer was privy to listen to those conversations, listen to the wisdom of God. That's why he was full of wisdom and perfect. He said, thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Where did he get that iniquity? He didn't get it in heaven. It's not up there. Where did he get pride? It wasn't from heaven. It's not up there. He got it down here on the earth that he was ruling because he was the one that covered. He was the big daddy here on the earth. And so it got him into pride, got his head swelled up. And it says, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. Who's they? Not anybody in heaven. And thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, out of heaven. You'll lose your throne room privileges and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So he got kicked out of heaven. But it's also prophetic because he's going to be defeated again in Revelation. And then verse 17 says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. He got the big head because he knew he was beautiful. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground, I will lay thee before kings. That they may behold thee. And that's what Jesus did when he went into the devil's kingdom or his domain and defeated him, took the keys of death and hell, and made a show of him openly by parading him through the spiritual underworld in front of everybody and every king that ever died before him. But the word cherub is singular for cherubim. And the cherubim are symbolic of God's most holy presence and his unapproachable majesty. Right now he has those, we call them beasts, but they're magnificent beasts that have wings all over and eyes all over. And they fly around the throne room saying, holy, holy, holy. They're the guardians of God's holiness. Not that God needs a guardian, but they're the guardian of his holiness. You don't go before God. Satan would never get in that throne room again and go before God and say something or do something unholy because they won't allow. He was one of those cherubs. He was a guardian of the holiness of God. He may have been the only one at that time. But we have a picture of a cherub who covers In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve had been sent out, and God placed that cherubim to guard the way of the tree of life with a flaming sword. That's a cherub that covereth. He was in charge of that garden. He covered that garden. Nobody was going to get past him. So we see now that Satan was a cherub, and one of his responsibilities was to guard the very throne of God, and his position was that of protecting the holiness of God. And in addition to that, he was the pray, praise and worship leader every time they congregated in the sides of the north. And that has to be a big place in our solar system, system that we haven't been able to even pick up with the Hubble, uh, what do you call it? Periscope or whatever it is. <laughs> Telescope. And so it's well-protected area. But I have heard astronomers say that there is a blank spot in the north of our solar system. So I don't know if that could be it or not, but it's possible that's where God's church meets every Wednesday and Sunday. (laughs) But anyway, Lucifer had the highest of all positions, a position which he lost because he allowed pride into his heart because he was so beautiful and so talented. And we have here in Ezekiel a picture of the highest of God's creatures, perfect in wisdom and beautiful beyond description. And on top of all that, a musician whose instruments were built into him and uh, instruments of praise and instruments of worship. And he was like the one man band. You know, they got the drums and he's hitting on a drum and he's playing accordion and whatever. You know, a one man band was Lucifer. They didn't have a praise and worship team. He was it. And he would lead the praise and worship in heaven. But this creation with all these wonderful attributes also had a free will. And one day God had to look him in the eye and say, I found iniquity in your heart. And it was downhill from there. So if you members of Judah, the praise and worship team. Ever wondered why Pastor Ed is always counseling you and telling you to guard your heart? This is why. Because this is a talent, an anointing given by God, and this is one of the fastest ways to get a big head. Is when you think you're beautiful or what you're doing is beautiful and everything you're doing is uh, worthy of God, and all of a sudden... You get like Lucifer did and get the big head. And then God can't use you anymore. So that's why Pastor Ed is always cautioning you. Guard yourself. Amen. Surround yourself with people that could watch your back. So that you don't get lifted up in pride. Amen. Amen. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm going to try to get this done here, but. I know we call this is my whole point. I know we call the devil stupid and we call him names and we sneer at him and we think that he doesn't have any power and there's no way he can get the advantage over us. But uh, we cannot underestimate him no more than we can underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when you get in trouble is when you either either underestimated the devil or you underestimated the Holy Ghost. And that's when you get bound and that's when you wind up getting your house plundered. And I'm not blowing the devil's horn, so to speak, but he's still a respected creation of God in the heavenly realm. In Jude, the first, well, the only chapter, verse nine, the Bible tells us when even the archangel Michael. Now, Michael is archangel, but he's a warring angel. He's ahead of uh, under God, under Jesus. He's the head of the uh, angelic armies. But the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, wrestling with the devil, arguing with the devil, judicially argued, disputed about the body of Moses. Now, Moses, when he died, the devil laid claim on him because Moses murdered an Egyptian. And so the devil had legal right to him. But God sent Michael, the archangel, down to dispute that. And prove God's sovereignty and say, no, he's coming with me. And so they were disputing, wrestling, possibly maybe even fighting over him. But even in the midst of that, the Bible says that Michael dared not presume to bring an abusive condemnation or rail against him, but simply said, the Lord rebuke thee. Now, I know we've been taught to rebuke the devil and call him names and put his neck under our foot. And, and, and that's, you know, impressive and makes you feel good, helps you sleep better at night when the lights are out. That's fine. But let me tell you something. Mano, we mano. You don't have a chance. Amen. And Zechariah three, two says, and the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuked thee. See, even Jesus wouldn't rebuke him. He said, the Lord rebuked thee, O Satan, opposer of God. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? He was talking about the high priest, Joshua, not the warrior Joshua that led the children of Israel into the promised land. But uh, the son of Zehoedech, he was a high priest and he was shown the condition of the church, the Old Testament church. The priest was dressed in rags and everything. And uh, but even even Jesus wouldn't rebuke him openly like that. Uh, of course, this was before Jesus died and was raised from the dead. But he said, the Lord rebuke thee. Yeah. And so, you know. I would rather, and this is the whole point of it, is that you don't get the big head thinking that you have this type of authority and power in yourself. Because it's by God that you have any authority, any power. And that's why the next time you go to rebuke the devil, say, the Lord rebuke thee. He'll probably move a lot quicker than you saying, I rebuke thee in the name of Jesus. Although it is, it's proper and authoritative for you to use the name of Jesus like that. But by the examples we have here in the Old and New Testament, I would say the Lord rebuked thee. Yes. He carries a little more authority and weight. Yes. Amen? Amen. Uh, let me see here. Try to get through this. So, I guess what I'm saying, Satan doesn't have power over believers believer that's filled with the Holy Ghost and knows the Word. And I, uh, But I think the lesson here would be to understand that it's The Christ in us and the authority that was given us and the power that we received on the day of Pentecost that gives us the ability to resist the strong man when he comes to bind us. But we should never believe that we're doing any of this in our own strength because this is spiritual warfare. Amen. So the strong man that gets bound in this parable anyway is not us and it's not Jesus. It's the devil. He's the one that's getting bound. And Jesus called him a strong man. But he's not the strongest man. As a matter of fact, he's called the prince of this world. But still, Jesus is the strongest strong man in this realm and every realm. And he's the one who came into the world, bound Satan, plundered his goods and took back what he stole from Adam. Jesus did that. But before he could do it, he had to prove himself to be stronger and he had to bind the strong man of Satan's domain, the devil himself, and then he could plunder his goods, which he did. He took yeah. back what everything that he stole from Adam. But we can't get the impression that Jesus is a, a thief sneaking into someone's house, tying them up and robbing them. He's more like a policeman that goes into someone's house and binds the robber that stole the goods that he's recovering. Amen. Yeah. So Jesus, I mean, the devil is a strong man, but Jesus is the strong man. He can bind that strong man every day of the week. Yes. Amen? Amen. And because of what Jesus did, we are also the strong man, and we can bind the devil's works, Amen. especially in our lives. Yes. Amen. Yes. And I know we say, "I bind you in the name of Jesus from operating in Brother Daryl's life." And that's good, but I don't have the authority over Brother Daryl's life. Right. Yes. Brother Daryl has to bind the devil concerning his life. It's his house he's trying to enter into, not mine. I can join him in prayer. I can, we can become in agreement and resist the devil together, and I can help support him. But he's the one that has to protect his house, yes. and he has to be the stronger man. And as long as he's in Christ, filled with the Holy Ghost and knows the word, he's not going to allow himself to get bound. And he's not going to allow the devil to plunder his house and steal things from him. He's not going to let him steal his health. He's not going to let him steal his finances. He's not going to let him steal his peace of mind. He's not going to let him steal his comfort, his wife, his children, his grandchildren. That's up to you. And if you're a parent and you have children under you that you're responsible for, you have to be the strong man in their lives. Because before a strong man can get into them and bind them, he has to first get into you and bind you. And when you're bound and you're blind and excuse me, but dumb as well, then that's when your child is going to get taken advantage of by the devil. But it's not the child's fault. It's your fault. Yes. Right. Amen. Amen. You're the one that covers yes. that child. Yes. Oh, They're right. under your care, your yes. responsibility, yes. your right. protection. That's right. You're to be looking out for them. Yes. Amen? Amen. And children don't do as you say. Children do as you do. Yes. They follow your example. Yes, they do. You can't tell your child, don't you ever smoke. Don't you ever take drugs. You can't tell your child that. He's going to do as you do. Not as you say. You're an example. When the Bible says, train a child up in the way that he should go, and when he's older, he'll not depart from him. That word train means to teach by example. Not to whip him into submission. Teach by example. And when you teach by example, and you walk the line... 99.9% 99.9% of the time, they'll do the same thing. They'll walk the line too. Amen. 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 We need to understand who the strong man is, who's binding who, and who's plundering what. Yes. Now, I, you know, I'm not going to say I've never been sick. I have my share of sickness. I have my share of aches and pains. But I'm telling you, I recognize who's doing it. And as soon as I do, I get unbound by the word of God and my confession. And then I bind him and take back my health or whatever it is he stole from me. And not only that, but when you catch the thief, God says he has to repay you sevenfold. So I'm going to get seven times what he stole from me. And if he robbed my finances, if he stole the hundred dollars, I got seven hundred dollars coming back. Amen. Why? Because I'm going to bind him and spoil his goods. He's not binding me and spoiling my goods. Now, hopefully... He never gains access to your house, never has the opportunity to bind you or to challenge you to who's the strongest man. But if he does, that's when you better start quoting the word and you better start remembering who you are in Christ, who Christ is in you and that the greater one lives in you and not him that's in the world. Amen. And you bind him and cast him out. Yes. Not only that, but then you go into his house and you bind him again and you take back not only your goods, but Take his goods too. Yes. Amen. Amen. Take somebody else's goods yes. that he stole. Yeah. And then give them to somebody else. Give them, give them back. Yeah. Amen. 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 This is the attitude that we have to have. Yes, we have to realize we're the strong man. Yes. He's not. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 I started that lesson on Wednesday night, but it was so good I carried it into today.